Hello, everyone. I'm Evan Anderson. I'm the CEO of InventIP, as well as the Deputy Director of Programs at the Future and Review Conference and a Senior Staff Writer at Strategic News Service. I'm here with Mark Anderson, who is the CEO of Pattern Computer. Uh, he is the CEO of Strategic News Service, so he is my boss, as well as my father. Uh, nice to see you, as always. Nice to see you. Yep. Um, and today, uh, for those who aren't uh, used to the, uh, the format of this webcast, uh, we like to cover a lot of different subjects in the Strategic News Service Global Report, and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit more at the end for folks that aren't aware of what it is that we do. But um, today we're doing a fun one, so uh, I'm greatly looking forward to this. Um, Mark has published a number of different papers in physics uh, focused around what he termed resonance theory. And uh, the other day, there was some new news out of the new Webb telescope observations that is causing quite a stir. And so we're going to get into some physics today. Um, and I think probably first and foremost, um, one of the things that you recently published about that's been really important in our understanding of space, distance, et cetera, the age of the, the, age of the universe, um, is the redshift. And so for those who don't know, uh, maybe you could just walk us a little bit through what the redshift is, why it's important, and how it's relevant to the kind of the current news. Sure. So a long time ago, about 100 years ago, maybe, scientists noticed that particularly well understood what are called spectral lines in, in the light given off by hydrogen and other elements in the sky and the stars had been shifting to the red. They were redder when you looked at them from far away than they were in the laboratory, redshift. And as people who live near trains know, when a train goes by, the sound of the train, horn or whatever, whistle, uh, gets higher as it's coming toward you and it gets lower when it recedes from you. And that's called the Doppler shift. And the redshift is a Doppler shift. So astronomers going all the way back to about then that I mentioned, um, uh, decided that the answer to why the redshift was happening, uh, this is a guy named Edwin Hubble, who really became most famous for this, or others, uh, was because something was going away. The star was going away from you. And uh, that became known as the Hubble redshift. And for 100 years, I would say roughly, people have used that idea, that theory, to explain the size and age of the universe, including the whole theory, really, of the Big Bang, which is the whole universe began with one Big Bang. So um, uh, that idea has been, I think, even until now, the main idea in understanding the world around us. So in other words, that's how we even measured, right? That's how we even measured how fast we thought things were moving. I think a lot of people have heard, you know, everything's moving away from us and we're measuring it. And that's hence the Big Bang. We think there's an expanding universe from an initial explosion. Um, and, and you're saying that Hubble essentially decided or, or came up with the idea that this shift in light that we were seeing, this shift in, in color spectrum of light was representative of the speed of things and the movement yes, of things. Exactly. And, and the um, ensuing theory and science built on that to say that we had an expanding universe because the further away things seem to be, the faster they seem to be going, the more the shift. And so there was a, a direct correlation which underlined or maybe self-reinforced this idea. Okay, so maybe walk us a little bit through what's been going on with this Webb telescope. I think for most people, they've probably seen, you know, lots of headlines about the Webb telescope. Hopefully they've seen the images, which are gorgeous um, yeah, and, and yeah. really, really high def. I mean, it's it's just stunning stuff. Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, some of the science that's coming out of that, or at least the uh, observations, right? What is it, What are we seeing now that we didn't see before? Yeah, 
So um, I think the first thing to say is how exciting it is because it took a long time to build a telescope, always does, you know, get it launched, get it working, tested and calibrated. And uh, it's only been a little over a month uh, getting images. And, and uh, even if you're not an astronomer, I think it's fair to say all of us expected improvement, but perhaps not a radical new idea. That's very rare for a telescope. So great to have it be faster, bigger, better, more expensive, sure. more better images, all the stuff you just mentioned. Uh, we got all that, but we also got something else. And what we got was uh, pictures we didn't expect. So um, a lot of argument right now, if you go onto YouTube or somewhere <laughs> where we are here, I think now today, yeah. um, you'll see people yelling at each other in, in quite angry terms about, you know, is the Big Bang dead? Is it not dead? Is it modifiable? Is it good? Is it bad? Uh, very, a lot of emotion, a lot of heat and light, and, and maybe more heat than light. But uh, people are excited. And that's worth noting right out of the bat, out of the, you know, the whole, the whole idea that suddenly we have dramatic new discoveries, it looks like via the Webb telescope that were kind of unexpected. So um, that's happening. And, and the Webb does this by, of course, it's modern technology. So just by saying that it's going to be updated from the, uh, the Hubble, which was the last one, uh, last telescope, uh, aptly named maybe. And uh, maybe the Hubble's going to be, you know, uh, become less important. And um, <laughs> um, the uh, the web is is showing us, particularly in the red. So so it was designed to do this. It, it is extremely sensitive in infrared and far red and so on, knowing that that's what we're going to be seeing for things that were farther away. Right. And, and so, wanting to measure. Uh, yeah. So in line with the Hubble theory, they built the web wanting to find things in the red, and they did, of course. Uh, but now we have an interesting problem because the things that it's finding seem to be indicating not just underlining Hubble's theory, but maybe making it not the only theory or not a complete theory. That's the kindest way to put it. Yeah, so and you and I were talking about this the other day. I, I think it's easy for people to get into um, grooves, and I think there's probably lots of folks that have focused on the Big Bang with their whole career, right? Um, and so I think it's easy for people to get into grooves where it's kind of zero or one, it's yes or no, it's black or white. Um, and you and I were talking about this, and I think you you had you had put it quite aptly um, when you said something like along the lines. I'm paraphrasing here, and I'll let you rephrase it if you want. But um, you said something like, you know, people are talking about whether this negates the Big Bang theory, but I think. The, it's a completely different question than that, right? I mean, what were, go over that a little bit. What were you saying yesterday? Yeah, and, and I think I'm sure that when we published um, the version of resonance theory, which was part six, not so long ago, and we published other work around this question, we were careful to say what you just said. So mm -hmm. it, this this doesn't necessarily prove that there was no Big Bang or that Hubble it was wrong in any way. It's just that it was not complete. So um, what, what resonance proposes in addition to what Hubble said, so sure, there must be Doppler. If things are moving away from us, they should have a redshift, fine. Right. But what, what resonance proposes is in addition to that idea, we should consider other contributors to the redshift as well. And so if the red, total redshift is some number, then part of that might be Hubble, might be Doppler, but part might be something else. And, and since resonance theory was based, since it was first created in, the, in 1980 or 79, on the idea that space itself was not empty, 
but was made of something, had characteristics. And those were clearly de delineated. People knew what the characteristics were, even in Faraday's time. And, and so, you know, okay, take that knowledge and actually stop fooling yourself, you know, whoever you are, Mr. Einstein, and, <laughs> and go forward and say, um, in fact, uh, space is not empty. And, and, and therefore, we're going to see things in a different way than we did when Einstein first proposed special relativity or, and so on. And by the way, Einstein admitted that this had been a mistake of his. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, what we do at, at then is say the contributors to this red shift not only are Doppler, if they are there, we don't know, but also there is a subtraction of energy as it travels along space from you to the star or from the star to you. And so um, how much is that and how much is the other? We don't know. But it now appears from the new web findings that we have to ask these questions in a much more serious way mm -hmm. because, because there are a lot of indicators that maybe the old distance theories were wrong and they include how many new um, th th they've looked way back now, thanks to web way back to the big bang. Well, maybe there isn't one, but the time when they thought there was one. And so uh, given that old theory, there are too many, uh, apparently too many galaxies to have been formed too early that makes you wonder was there a bang or not <laughs> and then there the, the, the evolution of galaxies by theory until now would have indicated that they wouldn't have been evo as evolved as they were so quickly that's a problem and, and how many and so you're going to get into these series of conundrums where the predictions some people have said of the 17 predictions of the Hubble theory 16 are wrong you know, so there's a, there's a gigantic conversation now. Is that true or how many are wrong? How many are right? But more importantly than that, is the universe substantially different in its in its behavior than we thought? Is it different in its age and in, it, in its di distances? It, maybe its shape or its size? Are all these up for grabs? Yeah. And it appears that they are. It appears that they are. Yeah, which is probably terrifying for folks that have already written some papers about, you know, based on existing knowledge and probably very exciting for people who are new in the field, right, where there is yeah, so much more to discover. I would, just, I would think a young astronomer would be very, very excited. She would be just dazzled and running <laughs> around in circles and older astronomers might be going, I can't, I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, not uncommon. This kind of makes me think too. So it sounds like you're telling me that we may be about to learn that the universe is a lot older, not only different in nature and, you know, perhaps in distances, um, a lot older than we think. Are you also saying that, or, or are we finding with web observations that we may um, have things that are at, at very different distances from us than we thought? All of the above. All of the above. So, <laughs> all of the above. Um, and I'll keep saying, we haven't done calculations to prove any particular version of this new Kind of like calling it the new model, you know, the mm -hmm. new, new model, your, your, your fancy new car, um, this, this universe number two. But um, I like it a lot better, actually. So it's, uh, I think we are putting to rest if, if Hubble is not the only theory that pertains, if Doppler is not the only thing that's happening, then um, we need to have a really good look and a, and a deep introspection about what is this universe like, this new universe model number two. And, you know, what, what are its features compared to the old car's features? And so um, some of the features would include uh, that it, it appears that um, there is no, it's not certain that there was a Big Bang. 
Or if there was one, maybe it's a little bang, or maybe there's an ongoing series of bangs, or maybe uh, it's it's not about bangs. Maybe it's more mm-hmm. about, uh, some people have said steady state. That was a long held theory before Hubble. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it steady state. I think it's extremely dynamic, but maybe that dynamism is available at all distances. Now that would be interesting. What do you mean by all? And then you get into, well, we don't know. You know, is it infinite? We don't know, really. Maybe it is infinite. It's hard for people to get their arms around the idea of something that's infinite, but maybe it is. Maybe it's, it, it's as far as a human brain is concerned, maybe it's infinite. And maybe we're not going to see this correlation that we thought we had as a Bible, where, um, you know, the, the further it is, the younger it is. Maybe that's not true. Might not be true. In which case, we, we know there is distance there, but are the distances closer than we thought? Might be. Is it older than we thought? Probably. Is it different shape? Uh, almost certainly. Is there any shape at all? Maybe it's infinite. So this new model car universe, it's shiny and it has that new car smell. You know, it's so different that uh, I think uh, it'll be exciting for a long time as people figure out what's going on. Yeah, and I think it. A few things are coming to mind. One, I like the um, the kind of mimetic uh, aspect of Universe Two Point Right, what will it look yeah. like? Um, mm-hmm. Particularly, you know, since we've we've talked about the existing Big Bang theory for so long now that it does, you know, it's a, it's kind of set in in so many um, set in stone in so many different ways in writing, et cetera, and culture. Um, so it is. I think that's very exciting. And then um, it also makes me think of you know the ant on the ball concept. Um, that we were all introduced to probably back, you know, in grade school um, and, yeah. and just kind of that whole, that whole issue of perspective. Right. Um, so. I think that was an embarrassing moment in science. <laughs> I know that the person when this was, when the expanding universe was first proposed by a scientist, I don't remember his name. He was ashamed and embarrassed. Apparently he didn't <laughs> want to publish it because it was so crazy. And so now perhaps we can help put him to rest that, uh, uh, yeah, maybe that didn't happen. <laughs> there was no balloon expanding and there was no ant. So um, yeah. maybe just for the, the folks that haven't read Resonance Theory, can you go a little bit deeper into what you were talking about when you published those things? I mean, at the time, particularly in the 80s, when you first started publishing them, but even just recently, um, the pieces that you put out in the spring, et cetera, have all been you know, pretty different from what's going on in the world of ivory tower physics. So maybe mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that and kind of explain what you're talking about when you're referencing it. Sure. Um, two main things here. The most important part is, which we work on a lot at Pattern Computer, but is that using pattern recognition to do science or mathematics is orthogonal to what you would do normally. So normally, I went to Stanford. Normally you go to school, at university, they would teach you what the other guys knew. Here's what the other guys think until now. Now you memorize that and go forward. Well, that's a pretty constrained world of discovery there you got, you know, so you're not going to really break any glass back 100 years ago doing that. Yeah, um, incremental that's improvement. Really big that's a big yeah, that's a big problem. You want to get an A, do this, you know, so um, uh, contrary fashion, if you come into it cold and don't know anything, you didn't have to go through all that. And you use pattern recognition to try to understand what has been learned so far based on experiment, just based on experiment, you might come to some completely different conclusion or different finding. Mm-hmm. We call that a pattern discovery. You may make a major discovery that was not, it was before everyone, but not available for cultural or academic, cultural, or, you know, who knows reasons. 
And, and so um, as a freeloader, an amateur, you know, all the great scientists in the earlier days were all amateurs. Newton was an amateur. So, you know, <laughs> you know, all these very famous people were amateurs. So um, uh, I think that's a fair thing to be. And and coming at it as from a pattern recognition perspective is almost guaranteed to give you a different view of that science or that series of, of events or experiments than you would have had if you were taught at Princeton. And, and so um, that's the beginning of the whole resonance program was doing that with force laws and with uh, light and trying to figure out light, which still remains a beautiful mystery today. So um, um, by doing that, I ended up having a different understanding of what space was because I convinced myself pretty quickly that it couldn't be empty. And so if it's not empty, what is it? And we always joke about it being called yellow jello. It's yellow jello. <laughs> but whatever it is, um, there it has... It, it has uh, what used to be called ether, you're not allowed to say it anymore, but it has it is substantial <laughs> in some way or other. It yeah. has physical characteristics which are easy to measure, easy to measure. And like I said, have been known since Faraday's time or near, near then. So, okay, that's easy. And then you, you go forward from there. And once you accept that space is not empty, all kinds of interesting things are available as discoveries. And then, uh, so I published these, I think there have been eight papers now or nine. And uh, three of them just in, I think, it's six, or six or eight weeks uh, this year, this last year. And one of them, number six, was about this subject of, of uh, dark matter, dark energy, and, and the cosmos and, and, um, and all that stuff, including now, you know, reassessing the redshift. Yeah. And I think it is intuitive. We've talked about this before, but I think it is intuitive that you would need to know what a substance is that you're looking through in order to figure out what it's doing to the image of the thing on the other side. Right. Sure. That's not an uncommon right. concept with light and matter. <laughs> it's, right. it's something we observe right. all the time on, on Earth, you know, when we're looking through bodies of water, right, looking down through the surface of a lake, everything's mm -hmm. distorted and we know it. Right. So we're, we're aware that that happens. Uh, so yeah. it, does, it does follow logically that that may be happening in other ways around us, too. It does. I, I, as I think you know this, but maybe those watching don't, I, I published a fairly risky paper called Einstein's Biggest Mistake. And it wasn't what everybody always thinks in school, which is this cosmological constant, which is more about the, the expansion of the universe. That was another mm -hmm. mistake. But um, it, his biggest mistake, I said, was was thinking that the there was no ether. Yeah. That there space was not substantial. And he later, I found out after I'd written that, uh, through Walter Isaacson, who's his biographer, who's a friend of mine, he later um, said that himself, and he gave a speech at Leiden, University of Leiden, saying that was his biggest mistake. He shouldn't have said it. And <laughs> and so, um, it, you know, as you're discussing with water or with anything else, he should have realized you have to have a medium if you're going to have a wave. Yeah. Yeah. Space time itself was not enough. So he, he he did something which harmed his own studies, his own future. It prevented him from ever achieving his most important personal goal, which was a unified field theory. You couldn't mm -hmm. get there without having space have substance. Well, that's just yeah. one more exciting thing is that perhaps, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is perhaps this is one little step and maybe a long journey towards something closer to unified field theory, right? Yes, I think that's right. Much closer. Yep. So I'm going to wrap this back around just because we, we have a broad audience and we want to make sure that we're not so, you know, that's, that's super fascinating. If we're I'm just in the weeds here. Yeah. If I'm just some person walking down the street, what do you think the implications of, of all of this are? Right. So what, what is going to change in my world in the next five years based on these web images and this new understanding? Well, 
I, I think it's where we started this conversation. I don't think expect a person on the street in any country in the world to care that much on a scientific basis. They don't stay up at night worrying about things <laughs> like this. But, uh, you know, people do are affected, I think, who are normal people, not science. They, I think they are affected in an emotional, spiritual way by these things. And there may maybe two ways. One, one would be, if you're living in an open universe compared to, a, you know, a closed one that's slowly expanding that's a different feeling mm -hmm. and and if you and you know maybe the idea that um we've discussed these different ideas will give some kind of an emotional or spiritual lift to people is the is the universe infinite that's a different feeling i just gotta tell you your neighborhood is infinite it's not a little box or a little shape some kind so maybe that would affect how people feel about the whole world and then, you know, maybe equally exciting would be at a time when I'm going to make a statement, which is be a little rough, but I think that big science isn't very good. <laughs> it's for the reasons we talked about today. You know, it's so canalized that really big discoveries are few and far between, maybe not in, in, um, in, in bio so much, a lot of bio going on. But other than that, in physics, for sure, it's pretty constrained. You put 200 people on an experiment and you find some little thing that nobody really cares about. So, and that costs $20 billion. There are 100 people on the paper. That's embarrassing, I think. So, you know, back in the 20s, 1920s, 100 years ago, it seemed like every 10 minutes there was a major, major discovery, theoretically. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we haven't been living in that world for 100 years. And maybe one of the great benefits of this for people would be we still live in that world. Yeah. Yeah. We're still capable of discovering completely new things that change the entire equation. Right. Yeah. There are still really big things out there to find really, really big. And I think that would make people happy. I know it makes me happy. I think that's a good note to end on too. And hopefully this has been, um, we talk about a lot of different things, like I said, on this podcast. So hopefully this has been kind of a hopeful and happy and interesting, uh, episode and, um, yeah. For those who don't know, Strategic News Service uh, is available by subscription online, so you can go to www.stratnews.com. Um, we're essentially a lot of different things. So um, for those of you who like to learn about the world, learn about what's going to happen in the next three to five years, that is our specialty. We have accurate predictions about uh, geopolitics, technology, economics, and physics, as it turns out. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Mark, for your time, and uh, pleasure you. as always, and I will see you all soon, hopefully. Thank you.